I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. Steve Schwartzman uh, famously, you know, says when it comes to tech companies, he just doesn't understand how to value a company that doesn't make money. Um, that's the really unique thing about uh, Bumble at the time when they acquired it. It was a profitable business. If you look at their adjusted EBITDA from their from Bumble's S1, then well, they would say they are still profitable. You got to got to take the adjusted EBITDA calculation with a little bit of a grain of salt. But we're going to be diving into the the Bumble IPO. We're going to be looking at uh, Roblox, their revised uh, rumored uh, IPO price today, and uh, a couple other couple other interesting topics. So let's jump on in. And, and check out what's going on here with Bumble. So if you don't know what Bumble is, Bumble is a Tinder competitor. If you don't know what Tinder is, uh, the dating app, the, the mobile dating app that, that uh, 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 made the, the swipe right you know, phrase uh, infamous, they've actually trademarked the swipe right uh, slogan, funnily enough, Tinder has, which is owned by Match Group, which is you know, ultimately controlled by Barry Diller and IAC. So here you can see Bumble's filing to go public. This is in the past week or so. The company launched by a former co-founder of the IAC-owned Tinder is planning to go public here. 42 million monthly active users. But that's very different than how they make money. These companies make money by kind of selling you premium packages, better swiping functionality, something like that. Uh, I haven't been on the the dating apps uh, in many, 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 many years. Uh, luckily, haven't had to use them. They have 2.4 million paying users. Uh, so it's a much smaller fraction. Those monthly active users, you know, th those are 2.4 million paying users throughout that period of 2020. So it's a small fraction of the 42 million. So Let's take a step back and you say, okay, well, how is Bumble priced? You know, does it does it make sense to invest in a Bumble? Um, so again, name of the show, winner take all. You have one or two dominant players in a given vertical. Tinder is definitely the uh, number one dominant player. You know, I think this is really a question of how dominant, right? Are we talking, is this Uber versus Lyft? Is this iOS and Android, which are, you know, much more closely uh, on the pl same playing field, um, or God forbid, is this Google search Bing? <laughs> you know, you don't want to be Bing in the Google search Bing uh, comparison. So, in order to get to that, let's let's first actually take a look at Tinder. Now, taking a look at Tinder is a little bit more difficult because they are rolled up inside of Match. Match was somewhat recently spun out of IAC. So, if you actually look at Match's 10K. It's it's looking at the 2019 right. So it was published in 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 early 2020. Looking at the 2019 calendar year, and so you know this thing is this thing has all of uh, a bunch of different IAC holdings in it. Right here's Match. Uh, here's Angie Angie's List, which is a roll up of Angie's List, Home Advisor, and Handy. Uh, you got Vimeo in here. You got a bunch of other stuff in here. This two billion, see this two billion roughly number here in revenue. That is reportedly, so this is again 2019 calendar year, 1.2 billion of that is Tinder. 
So actually a little over 50% of matches revenue, okay, was Tinder in 2019. When we read through their quarterly filings, they haven't done their 2020 uh, 10K filing yet. But when you read through the quarterly filings, the thing that is really propping up match, the really that, that white hot fast growth, revenue growth, profit growth engine is Tinder. And then they have, you know, they've rolled up some smaller kind of mobile first dating apps uh, underneath Tinder. Like they own Hinge and they own some other things that, you know, you, you may, may not be as popular. But anyway, if you say here that, okay, maybe, you know, maybe Tinder is really going to closer to, you know, 60, maybe a little bit above 60% of revenue for match. Okay. And then we got to look at, we got to look at where match is on, on the public markets here. So match group. Stock is about $37 billion. But again, you really want to compare apples to apples here with Bumble. You want to try and look at, you know, what portion of that is attributed to Tinder and, and other kind of mobile related dating apps versus uh, Bumble. Match is, is, you know, primarily going to be that website uh, type of experience, a little bit different of a, of a kind of workflow, business model, growth rate. Uh, more of a laggard than than Tinder really is that growth engine, right? Their performance though throughout 2020 has been very strong. You can see here for the three months, so this is Q3 2020, they had about $640 million in revenue. For the first nine months of 2020, they had about $1.7 billion in revenue. So you can see right in 2019 where they closed at about $2 billion for the calendar year of 2019, they had two billion. Uh, they were pacing at 1.5 through Q3. If they can, they can have another 600 million plus revenue quarter in Q4. You know, this is really like a, you know, around a 2.4 billion dollar. Let's say you know a 20% year over year growth here uh, on a revenue basis for Match. Which, if you say 60% of that, maybe a little bit more is Tinder. Maybe Tinder's around, you know, if, if Match overall is growing at, say, 20%, maybe Tinder's growing at 25, 30% revenue. They don't break out all the stats for Tinder, right? So you kind of need to intimate here a little bit. But let's say if Tinder is at 1.2 in 2019, maybe they're at 1.2. Four to 1.5 in, uh, in 2020. Then if we just take a step back and we say, okay, Match is a, uh, you know, Match is a $37 billion company. They got a roughly $2.5 billion revenue. So you've got, you've got well over a 10x revenue multiple here for Match. Where Bumble is at is when they were acquired for a few billion dollars by Blackstone, profitable. Revenue growth. For them, it might actually be a little bit lower than where Tinder is. Again, this is uh, Bumble's S1. It gets a little bit wonky in here because you got to add up this revenue number, which is it's because they have all these they had all these kind of weird corporate entities structuring. So 
That's why this reporting is a little bit wonky. So you got 375 million here, but you got to add in this 40 million. So really they're at like 415 million in that period, those first um, nine months of 2020. Okay. Compared to 362 million, the, the period prior. So they had about an additional $50 million revenue growth. Um, so it's about a 20% growth rate or bumble here. And I think that's, you know, that's also a kind of a, a generous number. 15 to 20% growth uh, off, of, um, off of the first nine months of 2020 compared to the prior nine months in 2019. And if Match Group overall is growing at 20% year over year, let's say, then, and you know that Tinder is outperforming within that, I actually think Tinder is growing faster than. Bumble is, which makes sense again because Tinder is the leader. That winner take all dynamic is, uh, you know, it's real uh, and it gives you a lot of advantages. So, what should Bumble be worth if you see, if you see Match Group, what, close to a 15, 16 revenue multiple here? Um, we don't know exactly where their Q4 is going to end up, but if you just kind of keep on pace, let's, let's just call it roughly. You got a 15x revenue multiple for match. You got Tinder, which is really kind of outperforming from within that. I wouldn't be surprised if you were to look at Tinder and you say, yeah, Tinder's got actually closer to say a 20x revenue multiple in what is kind of Tinder revenue. Let's call it at around 1.4, 1.5 billion dollars here. And then, and then, you know, the rest of that is really match compared to Bumble. You know, where should Bumble be valued at? You know, those are the real comparables here. They, they will say that they have their adjusted EBITDA is also still profitable. Companies adjusted EBITDA uh, expanded to from $80 million to $108 million. There are a lot of expenses when you, when, when you look at, you know, what you need to do on a gap basis and now you're going public. So... There is some truth to this. Um, you, know, you don't have all the details that you would like, but uh, there are some, you know, there, there is some validity to, to these numbers in the sense that it hasn't just wildly swung to, to um, being an unprofitable business now that they're going public. Um, or, you know, they're not burning cash to just support, say, a 15 to 20% year over year growth rate. That said, if you annualize this there, I think they're at around a $550 million yeah, here, $550 million in 2020 revenue, if you uh, kind of extrapolate that out. So what should Bumble be worth on this? You know, you got a, you got a distant number two, you got revenue growth, which is slower than the number one player, which has a lot more capital, which has a head start, which has more than double the number of paying users. Bumble has 2.4 million paying users. And Tinder had 5.9 million subscribers in the fourth quarter of 2019. Again, so assume that this is actually in the sixes and they're growing this number. So somewhere in the sixes. So more than double, if not closer to 3x the number of paying users, which makes sense because Tinder's doing uh, more than, you know, somewhere two to three times the amount of revenue than what Bumble is doing, right? So some of that makes sense. The one thing which I actually think is interesting is if, if you actually calculate out revenue by average subscribers here, Tinder 
average revenue per user um, is actually a little bit lower than Bumble's uh, by about 10 to 15%. So that is one thing that I think goes into the Bumble court here. But even if you say, look, if, if Tinder is anywhere from 15 to 20x revenue uh, in the public markets, and where should Bumble be at? Um, you know, maybe say around 10x revenue. Okay, now you're talking it's a five to six billion dollar market cap company. Where does that net out with, with, with where they will list uh, their price? Mm, don't really know. The report here is that they're seeking a valuation of six to eight billion dollars. That to me is really on the high range of this. Okay, if you say, eh, okay, maybe I can get comfortable with a 15. Uh, X revenue multiple. Yeah, I mean, that's really tapping out considering that's kind of where Match is. Match is way bigger. Match Group as a whole actually has the same, if not slightly higher revenue growth. Not even considering that Tinder is definitely going to be outperforming Match Group as a whole. So to me, that 15X would really be on the upper limits of, uh, of where I think just relative, uh, you know, being it priced fairly at that, that to me, that would really be on the high end. I could see 10, 12 being much more realistic. That would be actually closer to this $6 billion range. We'll see where it goes. IPO, you know, the, the listing price and what happens after the thing goes public have been completely bonkers uh, these past few months here. So just because the, the price shoots up, gang, doesn't mean that it's actually what the company is worth. If you want to play that game, power to you, but you know, just be a little careful. Okay, that is Bumble. Roblox. So Roblox, this company has basically 4x its value in the past few months. Um, I do think that their original price at around $8 billion was kind of the rumored valuation to go public was absolutely low. When I was reviewing all the platforms in Q4 that were, you know, that were going public, um, Roblox was easily my favorite choice, uh, hands down. It was, it, I mean, that was an easy decision. DoorDash, and Airbnb, and all the other things that, that came out around the same period, they ended up going through with their IPO. Roblox called it off, I think, smartly. And now they're looking at a direct listing, so it's not actually an IPO anymore. But long story short, where do you want to buy in on Roblox? What are the comps on Roblox? Uh, it's a little bit harder to get the, the right comps on this. Minecraft would probably be the best comp, but Microsoft owns that. So it's not publicly traded. I mean, it's a rounding error uh, when it comes to you know, Microsoft's overall profile. So what are the other comps? The media will like to say that Unity is a comp for Roblox. And if you look at Unity, you'd say, yeah, $30 billion, which is the rumored Roblox. Uh, listing price, yeah, that's a that's a no brainer. But I really don't think Unity is the best comp. They have a forty billion dollar market cap. Okay, this is this is nuts. Um, forty billion dollar market cap. <laughs> look at look, the company's doing it's like a eight hundred million dollar run rate. It's insane. I don't even even if they're doing a billion dollars in revenue, which which they haven't released Q4, you don't know, what are they going to do? Popped a $250 million revenue in Q4. Even if you annualize that out and you say, okay, yeah, they got a billion dollar run rate, which they don't, that's a 40X revenue multiple. I mean, that is bonkers. Um, Unity and Roblox are very different. They're similar in the sense that you can build 
gaming experiences on top of them. But where it's very different is this kind of metaverse that Roblox has created and the, you know, the way that, that Roblox has all of these bookings relative to revenue. So when we covered Roblox a few months ago now, you know, some of the key takeaways here was that the company is just printing money. And why are they printing money? Well, that is because bookings, they don't consider revenue. Bookings is this number. At $1.25 billion for the first nine months of 2020. Bookings is I, you know, I essentially paid real money to buy Roblox money, right? So I have now given Roblox 10 bucks and I've received $10 worth of what they call Robux. Um, so now that money has been received by Roblox. They've acknowledged it as bookings. You can kind of think about it as like GMV. It's not totally the same thing as GMV, but you could kind of loosely make the leap to consider it a GMV-esque number where there is some correlation between GMV to revenue. Their point here is that bookings is a kind of forward-looking indicator of where revenue will be. Revenue is considered, hey, I spent the Robux to buy this item. Or, you know, I spent the Robux in the game. Now that revenue has actually been actualized and actually booked as revenue. That is actually this number, this 588. So they had about 1.25 billion in, in bookings for the first nine months of 2020, but they had a little under $600 million in revenue. So it's, you know, maybe call it 45% of bookings is revenue. So, why is that you know interesting here? Because when you actually look at the company's free cash flow, when you actually look at um, you know why this company is printing money, it's because of that uh, bookings dynamic. When you actually look at their their actual P and L, you'll see here that it's losses. But when you actually look at free cash flow, they're just printing cash because they're actually yeah okay you lost you know a couple hundred million dollars. But you just took in double the revenue, right, in cash, in bookings, and that's just kind of sitting there. And what is the expense to, to Roblox when Robux get actualized? Nothing. It's just like this sword was purchased, literally ones and zeros. Um, so that's kind of the beautiful part of the business. That's why I was so bullish on the business at $8 billion. Let's take a look at some other comps, which I think are a little bit uh, better than Unity. You can look at Zynga, another uh, social gaming business here, $11 billion market cap. They've been on fire uh, throughout 2020, about a $2 billion uh, you know, revenue, um, up, call it 50% year over year for each quarter. They're just, you know, they're doing, they're doing very well because of COVID and as are all of these kinds of gaming companies and you know, companies benefiting from lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. So uh, $2 billion revenue, you got a, you know, 11 and a half, almost $12 billion company. You got a five to six X revenue multiple on Zynga. Okay, what's another one? Let's look at Blizzard. Um, they make World of Warcraft. They make Starcraft. They make a bunch of different games. They're a much bigger company. Call it a roughly $8 billion run rate. Quarterly performance, good. You can see it jumping up here. March, it was actually down. 
um, Q1, it was down year over year. And then boom, strong bounce back Q, uh, Q2 and Q3 in 2020, uh, back to that roughly 50% year over year growth. So if you got an $8 billion roughly company because of COVID growing it, you know, call it uh, 50% year over year. These are, these are big bumps, gang. You got a, what, a 9x revenue multiple. So if Zynga's in the five to six, Blizzard's in the nine range, where would Roblox be at 30 billion, okay? Compared to Unity's 40x revenue multiple. And that's even me giving them a, a very generous rounding up on their run rate. Roblox would be at, don't know where their Q4 is going to end up. But let's say they can, they can pull off a, a monster Q4. Let's just, let's just say they get to a billion-dollar run rate. Again, which they're not going to get to a billion-dollar run rate. Okay? But let's just say, just to make the numbers easy, billion-dollar run rate, $30 billion valuation, 30x. Okay? This would be the saving grace to me, would be if you actually look at the bookings. If you actually say, mm, you know, if the bookings are... The bookings are a little more than double revenue. Could you get this thing to in the 1.5, you know, in the 1.5 to $2 billion bookings for uh, the, the calendar year ending in 2020? And I do think, I, I think they'll definitely be in the 1.5. Are they closer to 1.5 or 2 billion in the bookings? I don't know. It's not technically revenue. So a 10x GMV, you consider bookings GMV, which is not totally, but even a 10x. If they do two billion in bookings, which is not revenue, which they probably are not going to do two billion in bookings, and you do ten x bookings multiple, it's still just twenty billion dollar company. Thirty billion seems high to me. That's where I'm netting out on this. Thirty billion really seems high. I love the company. Company is going to do fantastic. The Unity valuation is just complete bonkers, and you really can't use that as an anchor. When you look at, even if you say these guys should command, you know, let's, let's, you know, I mean, we're, we're jumping in and out of a bunch of different platform types. This is not apples to apples, right? Tinder, which we just were talking about, if they're at a 15 to 20 X revenue multiple in this company, Roblox and get to a billion run rate, which I don't think they're going to do. Okay. Right. Simple math. That's a 15 to $20 billion valuation. If you 10x bookings, also a stretch, you're at 20. And to me, 20 really seal, seems like the upper boundary um, for where I would feel comfortable on Roblox. I can't tell you, right? The public markets, right? I mean, they, they can do whatever they want. You can play that game if you want, but 30 billion seems high to me uh, on, on Roblox. Company is amazing. 30 billion seems high. Everything's up, though. I mean, look at look at Platt. I mean, it just continues to hit all time highs. Um, it's in the forty fives now since inception. Go full screen. Since inception, it's up eighty two, almost eighty three percent. Last year, it's up fifty four, almost fifty five percent. The volumes are really starting to get up there. Look at that. We actually. Actually, hit thirty thousand volume for the first time. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um, it's building. Plat's building nicely, and it just can't be stopped. Um, these companies are not in Plat yet. Uh, a Roblox, 
an Airbnb, a DoorDash, um, they will most likely pass, you know, our, our diligence. We guys still got to do the diligence. You got to do the rebalance, but, um, you know, technically they're not in it. We got 51 platform stocks in it today. You can see all of that on, on wisdom trees site here platforms. I mean, what, what can you do? Actually the answer is you just get on the train. Um, the train is not slowing down. So uh okay china hearts amazon what do i mean by that um hmm. well you know we've talked about wish where 97 percent of all the sellers on wish are um just chinese manufacturers and that's actually more and more what's happening with amazon which is not good news for wish by the way 75 percent of the new sellers on amazon are from china it's the natural life cycle of particularly product marketplaces where product marketplaces, they get scale by getting fragmented third-party supply from smaller sellers, usually like distributors, you know, the, the middlemen in the industry. As the marketplace commands more demand and more demand, then it starts to want to cut out the distributors as a middleman and go straight to the manufacturer. We've seen uh, Amazon be very aggressive about going direct to manufacturers in the United States. And we've covered this a myriad of times on the show about um, pre-COVID, 49% of the top 10,000 sellers on Amazon were Chinese manufacturers. Percent of new Amazon sellers based in China. Look at this. In Germany, it's 80%. In Europe, these numbers are even higher. They're actually averaging it out. The U.S. is actually lower, maybe 60, 65% here. You can see these numbers growing aggressively. The other overlay on top of this story is that a lot of the Chinese sellers um, dropped off of the platform throughout 2020 because of COVID, um, customs, shipping issues, fulfillment issues, just a bunch of stuff going on in the supply chain. So it does make sense to me a little bit that you see a bounce back here, right? Because you you had a, I think you had re relative, to, there's drop off all over the spectrum with Amazon sellers um, having issues on Amazon because of supply chain and COVID. But relatively, a lot of the Chinese sellers um, experienced some more hardship given the fact that they're in China. Um, so, it makes sense that you see a bounce back, but this is a pretty aggressive bounce back, right? If you consider you at 49% as, as kind of the average of 10,000 sellers pre-COVID, bam, now you're jumping up to 80% in Germany. Over 60% isn't too much of a bounce back. You know, that actually seems a little bit more normalized here um, than what you're seeing in Europe and Japan. But this should be a real concern for, for any country that's trying to promote uh, localized manufacturing, which I think should be a pretty, um, you know, bipartisan, uh, kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> just a logical conclusion that you want to bring manufacturing back and try and localize it. This does not bode well for, for uh, that. Spoke on the last episode about um, that, you know, the entrenched tech monopolies. Oh, Twitter is not a tech monopoly, but you know the the leading content social media platform companies uh, that have market caps. Twitter, you know, what thirty five billion. The other tech monopolies in the you know um, 
trillions now, but they're able to spend an obscene amount of money on content censorship. They'll call it kind of trust and safety. Um, now, it re- the better label for it really is content censorship, um, i.e. fascism, content information war. What's interesting here, though, is that I found this article in the Financial Times, and it's actually from back in you know, 2017. The article is called Facebook Counts the Costs of Post-Truth Politics. Basically, it's Zuckerberg saying we're going to hire tens of thousands of people to put all the regulation and, and all the things in place. And this is what happened to the stock price, right? You actually saw Twitter stock um, going down, Google uh, and Facebook unabated. And, and that's actually similar to what we're seeing today, where you see Twitter's censorship, um, which, I mean, relatively, they're way more overly aggressive. But you see this similar thing, right? This really shows you the dichotomy between really having that monopoly status where you, you are somewhat impenetrable um, or invincible from private competition or for really kind of markets to run the course, their natural course, and have competition, you know, figure out who the winners and losers are, right? When you have this uh, disconnect, right, in terms of the monopolies can, can take these actions with little to no concern about any retribution or any fallout. This was actually the first time that I think the executives at Facebook and Google saw this, right? They said, we're going to have to spend, we're going to have to hire tens of thousands of people. Zuckerberg promised to invest so much in security that it would significantly impact our profitability. Facebook plans to hire a contract 10,000 extra staff, doubling the number of people working on safety and security. So doubling. They already had 5,000. This was back in 2017. Uh, and invest in technologies to better spot bots and posts from malicious sources. This is an analyst. It said it was hard not to model a decline in valuation. The exact opposite happened. Stock went up. Why did the stock go up? Because Mr. Weiser is saying, well, you know, they got to hire 10,000 people and that could cost a billion dollars. Even if they're outsourced to countries like the Philippines. And what ended up happening is now you're actually seeing this as a barrier to entry. You're actually seeing this as a moat um, around the tech monopolies here. Where now they're saying, well, if this is 2017, Facebook already had 5,000 people working. Then, then Zuckerberg said, we're, we're, we're going to go hire another 10,000. Okay, now you're at 15. You don't think they've added to that number in the past three years? Uh, I bet there are over 20,000 people doing some form of content censorship, you know, trust and safety. Here is uh, you know, their operating costs. But this, you know, these numbers are now going even higher. This is just through 2016. This is really before, you know, these kind of uh, memos came out from Zuckerberg and, and, and the likes that we're going to spend billions and billions of dollars on all of this. So now what's happening is the expectation that big tech is trying to co-opt with the media is that if you don't have you know, at least hundreds of people doing content censorship, 
you're a, you're a, you know, extremist, um, you know, a little watering hole harboring terrorists and all this malicious activity. And uh, sorry, gang, it's just not true. You don't need to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, even tens of millions of dollars to have a viable, uh, legal content platform or social media business. These companies, which are spending, these companies being Facebook, Facebook, uh, Google, Amazon, um, Apple, but in a little bit different way, um, and Twitter, have now viewed this as a competitive advantage because they've got, Facebook's got over 20,000 people. They're spending billions of dollars a year on trust and safety. We just talked about Telegram on the last episode. Telegram saying, I got over $200 million in server costs. They don't charge. They don't actually make any real revenue. Um, and they're just trying to do a fundraise to keep the servers on, to literally keep the lights on. <clears throat> now you say, hey, Telegram, which has over 500 million users, which, which signed up, I think, 30 million users in seven days. I mean, it's insane. The exodus to these alternative content, social media communication platforms, and it's only going to continue. <clears throat> because these, these tech monopolies have violated, they have violated the ethos of platforms. And there's no walking that back. Uh, they've opened Pandora's box. We've seen their true colors for months and quarters and actually years here. We've been covering it on the show. But I think now a lot of people have really woken up that it's untenable and unacceptable. And that's why you see this uh, diaspora away from <clears throat> these uh, entrenched tech monopolies. And now this is where it comes back to private competition, right? Where can private competition uh, level the playing field when the market responds, when the, when the users say, this is not okay, I'm going to leave. Can private markets, uh, you, you know, enable that to happen? And what you've seen instead is now you've seen, <clears throat> actually, you've actually seen the tech monopolies band together to help each other. Where's the DOJ on the antitrust on this? <clears throat> We've actually already seen, we covered it on the show called Project Jedi, where Google and Facebook literally have written agreements uh, to, to help each other to form a digital advertising duopoly and to keep the competition out of the digital advertising spectrum. Actually documented that they're working together. <clears throat> Before all of this, right? Before... Um, Parler gets kicked off of AWS because Parler isn't spending millions of dollars on sufficient content censorship. And then they're branded an extremist social media platform and boom, their apps are removed from Apple and Google. Amazon takes down their servers. Um, this is the narrative. And these companies are small. So how are you supposed to compete when now they, now they say, well, you know, you're not doing sufficient censorship. There's no law around this. Who makes up the expectation about what is suffi sufficient censorship, if not the laws, right? This is what the Poland justice minister said, right? If the tech platform, content platform, social media platforms in Poland violate our laws of free speech and, and kick someone off of their platform, um, we can find them $2 million for every instance, right? Poland's figured this out. The EU is slowly getting to this, but now because it's coming so partisan, 
you know, we'll see if the EU actually is able to stay objective and, 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 and keep, you know, keep their thumb on the pulse of this whole thing. But, um, the, the narrative now that it's up to the tech monopolies to determine what is appropriate censorship, <laughs> if they're going to allow your app to be on the app store, or if they're going to allow their servers to power your business is completely ridiculous. Because these guys are spending billions of dollars on it. They had over 20,000 employees. You don't think they have a bias? They love the censorship. They see it as a competitive advantage. No one's seeing that this is completely inappropriate and they shouldn't be making the rules. There's clear precedent for laws. For is the FBI launching an investigation? Is your business uh, not complying with U.S. law, not taking down information um, that is clearly violating you know, U.S. law? And now it's just kind of been boom, co-opted um, <clears throat> into uh, what, you know, they think is appropriate levels of censorship. And you're not able to have true private competition. You're not able to let the markets work themselves out when you have the tech monopolies teaming up with each other to gang up on the smaller competition. From Telegram all the way down to my five oxymorons. Uh, which I covered a few episodes ago. These are the five up-and-coming content social media alternatives that are all top thousand websites in the United States. They have collectively raised collectively raised less than fifty million dollars. Probably total employee count at all these companies is probably less than a few hundred employees. Yeah, but they're, they're supposed to go spend millions and tens of millions of dollars. No, actually, scratch that. Hundreds of millions of dollars on content censorship. It's actually genius by the tech monopolies here. And they've now whipped up the media into it. They've made it a partisan issue. But we got to take a step by, back and not get dragged into this. This is how you stamp out competition. This is how you stamp out letting the markets speak for themselves. When, when you get the tech monopolies teaming up with each other and just arbitrarily deciding what's appropriate levels of censorship. I mean, it's, it's frankly laughable, but not many people are really talking about it or they're too scared to talk about it or it's inappropriate to talk about it, but it's absolutely ridiculous. People are waking up. People are waking up. And I've always said this, I'll end on a very positive note here. The American people, actually not just the American, people are smart, you know? Not just the American people, people around the world, people can see what's going on. They're not happy with it. They're not okay with it. They're trying to leave the grasp of the tech monopolies. But now they're being, you know, uh, um, met with resistance at every step of the way. That's not how the markets are supposed to work. These companies will still do very well. And they're still actually succeeding despite all of that. Before all of this set into motion, they were already top thousand websites, right? They're already top thousand websites. Those stats are from a few weeks ago. So now just imagine what those stats are. A lot. Um, if they can actually get the servers to work. Because now their apps have been kicked off the app stores. Insane. The fight will go on. I think the alternative players uh, will certainly give the tech monopolies a run for their money. I think Parler has filed an antitrust suit against uh, Amazon, which, uh, which you know, I think has a lot of legs. We'll see if they get a fair shake in court. Don't hold your breath. And, um, 
you know, but people can always, people can make up their minds. People can vote with where they spend their time. That's ultimately what it comes down to. So that's it for us on Winner Take All. Thanks very much for joining us. Talk to you soon.